It's Saturday, December the 11th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up. Inflation in America hits a 39-year high, and abortion in Texas. First, the week in brief. Annual consumer price inflation in America rose to 6.8% last month, a 39-year high. Prices jumped by 0.8% from October to November. A range of factors have fueled inflation lately, including supply chain bottlenecks, labor shortages, fiscal stimulus, and ultra-loose monetary policy. Given the persistence of high inflation, next week the Federal Reserve may decide to wind down its bond buying faster than initially planned. America's Supreme Court ruled that abortion providers in Texas may sue to stop the state's near-total ban on the procedure, allowing their challenge to move forward in a lower court. But the justices again refused to block the ban in the meantime. Texas's law prohibits abortions after about six weeks into pregnancy. Supreme Court precedent permits them until about 24 weeks. Donors to the World Bank agreed to release 240 million US dollars of previously frozen funds to help Afghanistan. The money will be given to the UN's World Food Programme and UNICEF and be put towards, quote, humanitarian assistance. The WFP says that half of Afghanistan's population face acute food shortages this winter. The Treasury Department blocked Americans from investing in SenseTime, a Chinese AI firm, for its role in supplying facial recognition software to China's government to survey Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region. The blacklisting appears to have disrupted SenseTime's plans to list in Hong Kong soon. It was expected to price its shares on Friday, but didn't. The Biden administration also imposed sanctions on two officials in Xinjiang. Scientists at Britain's health security agency said that a booster jab of the Pfizer vaccine offered significant protection against the Omicron variant of COVID-19, regardless of whether people had received two original shots of Pfizer or AstraZeneca. However, without a booster, the virus proved adept at avoiding the body's defences. The HSA cautioned that its findings were based on a limited sample. More information on Omicron's severity may emerge next week. Talks between Russia and Ukraine to agree a new ceasefire in eastern Ukraine ended with both sides blaming the other for the impasse. Ukraine said that Russia had rejected most of its proposals, which Russia characterised as, quote, absolutely absurd. Tensions have been rising in the region as Russia masses troops on their shared border. Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, an anti-secrecy outfit, moved one step closer to being extradited to America. A high court in Britain overturned a previous judgment which found that Mr Assange could not be extradited to face espionage charges because his mental health was too fragile to stand American incarceration. And word of the week. Hey Baragi. Sunflower in Korean.
It is sometimes used to insult idle husbands who sit pretty waiting for their hard-working wives to come home. And now, here's today's agenda. A photojournalist's record of Bangladeshi independence. In 1971, when West Pakistan unleashed its military might on the country's separatist east, today Bangladesh, one 26-year-old French photographer risked her life to document the struggle. For decades, however, Anne Henning's pictures went unseen. Now they are on display at the Shilpakala Academy in Dhaka, Bangladesh's capital, through December. One of the few foreign photographers to record the war's beginning, she captured the contrast between Bangladeshi's boundless passion for freedom and their rudimentary resources. Between 300,000 and 3 million died. But with a helping hand from India, they eventually won independence. Mr. Henning returned in 1972 to photograph the liberation movement's leader, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, as he became Bangladesh's prime minister. Soon after, democracy withered. Sheikh Mujib was slain in a coup. But Bangladeshis have remained transfixed by this moment in their history, of which the old shots offer a fresh glimpse. Adam McKay's bleakly realistic political farce. The new Netflix film from Adam McKay, Anchorman, The Big Short, Vice, is a lot more believable than you might want a black comedy about the end of the world to be. Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence play two lowly astronomers who calculate that a, quote, planet-killer comet will destroy the Earth in six months but can't persuade anyone to listen, including a vapid American president played by Meryl Streep. Don't Look Up was written as a satirical response to our inaction over the climate crisis, but its production was delayed by the pandemic. It now comes across not so much as a far-fetched allegory of eco-catastrophe, but as a painfully accurate account of how politicians, journalists and society at large handled COVID-19. The script ticks off anti-science talk show rants, wrong-headed protests, self-promoting politicians and mercenary celebrities. Replace Comet with COVID and the film could be a documentary. Breeding a better chickpea The humble chickpea has been soaked, roasted and blended for generations. But a group of scientists led by Rajiv Varshney of Australia's Murdoch University and the International Crops Research Institute for the Semi-Arid Tropics think it is time to give this versatile legume a high-tech makeover. They set out to produce a, quote, pan-genome, the entire set of genes within the chickpea species, derived from the cultivated plant and seven of its wild relatives. Their work, published in the science journal Nature, produced the most comprehensive genetic map of any vegetable species to date. The findings might help breeders create more productive chickpeas. The team identified 24 haplotypes, 
or genetic variations that bring benefits such as increased seed weight and better yield per plant. They've also identified less useful genes they believe can be bred out of the crop. As an important source of protein for low-income parts of the world, increased productivity could help combat world hunger. The chickpea, after all, is far more than a tasty salad topping. Formula One's title decider For the first time since 1974, the leading drivers in the Formula One World Championship go into the final race of the season tied on points. Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes, a seven-time world champion, and Max Verstappen of Red Bull, seeking his first title, have 369.5 points each. Whoever crosses the line first in Abu Dhabi on Sunday will be crowned champion. But if neither finishes, the title will go to Mr Verstappen, who has the most race wins. That is not an unlikely scenario. It happened in September in Italy, after Mr Verstappen's car landed on top of Mr Hamilton's. Indeed, the pair have clashed throughout the season. Mr Verstappen crashed after colliding with Mr Hamilton in the opening lap of the British Grand Prix. Last weekend in Saudi Arabia, Mr Hamilton slammed into the back of Mr Verstappen, who braked suddenly. The only thing certain is a vicious battle. Weekend Profile A Burmese soldier turned resistance fighter Long before the Burmese army seized power last February, toppling Aung San Suu Kyi, the country's de facto leader, who has just been sentenced to two years in jail, Aung Lai was fed up with life in the barracks. The 42-year-old Sergeant Clark enlisted in the Tatmadaw, as the army is known, in 2006 when Myanmar was ruled by a military junta. At the time, the army was one of the few employers that provided a reliable income. His wife, who came from an army family, had urged him to sign up. But Mr Ang Lei, not his real name, quickly grew disillusioned. The money was bad and the officers worse. They treated Mr Ang Lei like their dog's body. Fulfilling their orders all day left him with no free time. Those who complained were punished with a punch to the head or thrown in a cell. I lived in fear, he says. The coup marked a turning point. He and his wife were horrified by the army's violent crackdown on protesters opposing the putsch. On July 1st, having invented a reason to leave the military compound and receive permission to do so from his superiors, they packed their bags and drove off. To shake anyone who might be pursuing them, they changed cars three times during their journey, before eventually arriving in territory controlled by an ethnic minority rebel group. For Mr Ang Lei, leaving, quote, was like dropping something, a burden that I had been shouldering for so many years. Since the coup, some 2,000 soldiers have abandoned the Tatmadaw, according to People's Embrace, a Burmese organisation that helps defectors. This is not enough to perturb the generals, who command a force of some 300,000. Yet that impressive figure masks frailties. 
Many soldiers are poorly trained and wanted out of the army even before the coup. Scores of new, surprisingly effective anti-junta militias have formed since the putsch. Some are fighting alongside more established insurgent groups who are seizing the opportunity to carve out more territory. The army is stretched thin. Morale among the rank and file is in freefall. If opposition forces can avoid being crushed, dissatisfaction within the Tatmadaw will mount and the army may begin to bleed soldiers. At least, that is Mr Anglais' hope. He now works for the resistance. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Kerry, who was born on this day in 1943. Not taking action to address the climate crisis will leave us in a position where we are, just by inadvertence, by lack of will, by lack of coming together, marching forward in what is almost tantamount to a mutual suicide pact. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 